A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode about Rabbi Naftali Tzvi, Trump, the Radin Rosh Hashiva, is dedicated by the Enikloch of Rabbi Naftali, Zechrein Levrocha, as a schus for a Gemar Chasim for the entire Mishpacha and Gans Klal Yisrael. So the, um, the story of Rabbi Naftali Trapp is a great story about the Radin Yeshiva and his life um, and who he was as a person. Um, before that, I just got a little bit, bit, bit about the f- feedback um, and some other news and tidbits. Um, Interestingly enough, last episode, some of the feedback, the great feedback I got from listeners was about the dedication from last episode um, about the Aleph uh, Beta. Uh, many listeners followed my recommendation and, uh, and uh, to go to alephbeta.org uh, and for their great content to check it out, to get it before Yom Kippur and Sukkot and loads of of great content, uh, especially these coming weeks, and animated Torah videos, and all kinds of uh, um, all kinds, of, you know, looking at the Torah's texts and making meaning, making them meaningful and relevant in our lives today. So check out uh, Aleph Beta. Um, either way, getting back to Reb Naftali Trap, um, it's his yard site. That's why we're doing it. It's the Tzayim Gedalia, the third day. Of the month of Tishrei is was the day of the passing of Naftali. He passed away in might say Russian Shana. It's interesting. There was in the good old days, the early days of the Hasidic movement, when uh, when it was much more you know radical and before it became very traditionalist in the late nineteenth and early twentieth centuries. So there was it was um, there was a certain of the early tzaddikim, Chayze, a couple other ones. Um, they had this. Thing about not fasting on Sangadali anymore. I saw some fascinating sources about it, and uh, oh, maybe we should get that started going again. Either way, um, you definitely want to check out the For the Record column in this week's Mishpacha magazine, the M. Kipper edition. My um, collaborator and dear colleague, uh, Davi Safir, and I. I've written up one of our best ones yet about Urbarch Bar Leibovich, the Kamenetz Rosh Shiva in, who was in the United States uh, for Yom Kippur um, in 1928, I believe. I don't even remember what year it was. I, have to, I would have to check the column myself. 
and um, it was in he was in Newark, and her base of convicts was the rub there. And there's some interesting tidbits about him as well, so you want to check that out. Also, keep your eyes open for the legendary Mishpacha magazine Sukkot edition, which is going to come out before Sukkot, uh, obviously. And there's going to be some exciting stuff that Davi and I have worked on, and details to come. Stay tuned. Um, also, it's just around the Rosh Hashanah and Kippur time, I saw a great article um, on uh, Professor Dada Saf's blog. Someone else posted it um, about the piyut which we recite on um, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur Melech Elyon. And there's this one insert that we say of Melech Evyon, which refers to a earthly or human king in the feebles of, of uh, and the limitations of a human king, as opposed to the greatness of the king of kings, uh, God himself. So there was this fascinating historical article where the original uh, piyut was authored as the refrain of Melech Evyon followed every single stanza uh, of Melech Elyon, and and it was self-censored out over over history. And, uh, and it was self-censored out because the understanding of the printers was that it would seem derogatory to the local monarch, whoever it may be at that time, that you're referring to him as this Melech Evian and writing all kinds of derogatory uh, limitations that a human king has as opposed to, uh, uh, as opposed to God. So um, it was self-censored out, and, there, and most of the Piat disappeared, which I found fascinating also. So when you hear the history behind these Piyutim we recite, it makes it more interesting as well. But finally, getting back to Rav Naftali, uh, Trup, that's the subject of today, and there's all kinds of sources that give us tidbits about his life. There's the introduction to uh, um, his Chidushe Hagranat, Rav Naftali, Trup. There's you know, in all, in all kinds of other books that brings stuff in passing. Making of a Godel has some nice stories about him. I believe that Rav Naftali deserves more. There's very sparse uh, sources the introduction that I mentioned, the introduction to his Sefer, uh, which brings the uh, short biography of his life, I felt was pretty lousy. There was lots of mistakes, and there's only passing references to him in the biography on the Chavetz Chaim and Ramesh Landinsky and Rabbi Rucham and other books. Um, I think more needs to be written on him. On our trips to Raden, we see the Yeshiva building, which is still intact, and his... Uh, and also Rav Naftali's restored grave in the cemetery near the Chavetz Chaim and Ramesh Landinsky, the other Raden Rashiva. Though we tend to get overwhelmed by the Chavetz Chaim on the visits to Raden, I always try to devote a few minutes to Rav Naftali Trepp. I think he's a fascinating story and a great one. And uh, and, uh, and also the others in Raden. I try not to make it just about the Chavetz Chaim. I also even bring the groups to the mass grave of the Raden townspeople killed in the Holocaust, which is in the cemetery as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Rebbe Naftali. Though I generally refrain from preaching any Torah thoughts on this platform, which is a history podcast, since it's very timely, again, about the uh, the days of awe that we're in the midst of at this current uh, time, I'll take an exception and share a thought of Rebbe Naftali, Trup, on the Slichas, which we recite uh, currently every morning during this time of year. We repeat the refrain in the introduction to the Slichas that it's Kedalim Ukirashim Dafaknu Dlasecha, like Poor people, we come knocking on your door, knocking on heaven's door, as it were. Um, so why do we repeat it? We say it twice, almost one sentence after the other. So Rav Naftali uh, Trapp explained that usually when a poor person who is 
schnurring for some money and food. He knocks on the door. If no one answers, he moves on to the next house. But when the poor fellow is starving and desperate, it's out of desperation, he's not going to move on to the next home so easily. He's going to knock and knock until someone answers the door and has mercy on him. And that's what we're trying to emphasize when we're coming before God during this time, is that we're kedalamu karashim, that we're poor, and we're just going to knock and knock again, and keep on knocking until um, until we were able to be, uh, you know, get our salvation. So Rabbi Naftali Trapp was born in Grudna, and studied by his father, Rabbi Meisha, until he went on to to Yeshiva. He studied in Kelm, by the altar of Kelm, he went on to Tells, where he was a student of Reblazer Gordon. He then moved on to Slabatka, which was one of the main places where he was a student was, um, he, uh, of the altar of Slabatka. He also had a relationship with Navardic at one point, but he was a very close student of the altar of Slabatka and, um, and, and also of the Rosh Hashiva there, Rabitzel Laponovizer, who, uh, Rabitzel Rabinovich, who was later Rabitzel Laponovizer, then he was still a uh, rabbi, he was a teacher in the Slabatka Yeshiva, and that uh, had a, a decisive impact on the style of of uh, of uh, of derech halimud of of the way uh, Reb Naftali taught Torah to his students was very much formed um, had an impact by Reb Itzel He was so close with the altar of Slabatka that uh, he was engaged to be married to the altar's uh, daughter. Um, the altar Reb Finkel, the altar of Slabatka's daughter, um, was engaged to Reb Naftali, possibly even married until today. It's unclear and there seems to be a dispute among the sources if where he was just engaged um, or he was actually married. What we know for sure happened was that unfortunately this young lady passed away um, quite suddenly at a very young age and uh, nothing came of that. So either um, either the, it was terminated during the engagement because of her untimely passing or it was shortly after they had already gotten married and, uh, and then she, that she passed away. It was very tragic either way. It was very sad. Um, I personally uh, tend to believe that it was just an engagement, and that's from a sense of, 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 of the silence of the sources. I feel like a marriage makes more noise. There's invitations. There's a big event. There's people who go. There's many people who attend. There's documentation. There's exuba. There's all kinds of other documents that float around. In other words, there would have been a much more richness of a source material to have found had an actual marriage taken place. And the fact that there's a dearth of such sources, either eyewitnesses or people who attended or or documentation or anything like that, uh, would lead me to believe that it was just an engagement. Um, and uh, but, but I could be wrong, obviously, and it's definitely disputed until today. Uh, either way, um, it's it's tragic either way, and definitely it doesn't make it less of a tragedy if it was only an engagement. Um, so he uh, eventually goes on to marry the daughter of Eliezer Yaakov Chavas, Eliezer Chavas, he was called. And I'm going to get back to him and Reftali's marriage and his children later on. I want to move back to just the trajectory of his biography. So following his marriage, he goes back to Kelm, he returns to Kelm to keep on studying for another several years, and eventually is appointed the Rashiva of the Or HaChaim Yeshiva for younger students in Slabatka, who the founder of that yeshiva was Reb Tzvirish Levitan, very interesting individual as well. And this Or HaChaim Yeshiva was for younger students, it was a it was not the famous Slabatka Yeshiva of the Altar, which was for older students. 
and the Raftali is the Rosh Hashiva there for several years until he reaches uh, where he's going to remain for the rest of his life, the Radin Yeshiva. He's hired by the Chavetz Chaim um, in 1904, and he remains there for the next quarter of a century until his own passing, and he raises the Yeshiva to a new level. He brings the new Derech Halimur to the Yeshiva, and the reason the Chavetz Chaim brings him into the yeshiva is that he should infuse the yeshiva with a new life. Radna was a bit old school up until that point, and all the other yeshivas around were modernizing themselves in the sense of the style of learning that was prevalent in that yeshiva, in each yeshiva, um, because Reb Chaim Brisker and Valajan had, had revolutionized the world of Talmudic study with his new way of analytical thinking and and, 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 and teaching. And Raftali, though, he had never studied by Reb Chaim Brisker, but he had a similar style of learning. It electrified the youth. It, it was dynamic, and he was charismatic, and he was a fantastic Magad Shir. And, and, and he was going to be someone who would revitalize the, the learning and attract the uh, higher level of students to Radin, which was very needed at the time. Um, and it was, you know, infused with youth. He was in his 30s. And um, it would bring a new life to the yeshiva, which it did. And, and the reason the Radin became a successful and, and, and top-notch yeshiva after that was completely do anything that it did accomplish. Uh, you know, never, never became a first-tier yeshiva like uh, like some of the others at the time. But um, it, you know, whatever it was able to be, uh, it, 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 its impact was can be almost exclusively uh, assigned to uh, to Reb Naftali's uh, being in the yeshiva. Um, so it put Radin on the map, and he also brought the Musar movement there. You know, he, had been, he was a product of, of Slabatka and Kelm, and uh, Radin was not a, a Musar yeshiva until that point. And Reb Naftali, even though he was brought in as a capacity as a Lamdan, as a Rosh yeshiva, he also brought in the Musar movement as well. Um, is it interesting is because there was already a Rosh yeshiva in, in Radin. And Rabbi Shalandinsky, who had studied in Valajan, was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, and he was the Rosh He was... He was older, much older, and also old school in the way his style of learning and teaching. And uh, there was some friction, you know. He was they were bringing in this uh, this new new young guy who was kind of almost like uh, replacing him, or at least uh, you know some sort of competition with him. So the greatness of Rabbi Landinsky is that he allowed it. The Chavetz Chaim spoke to him beforehand, and he promised him that he would outlive them all, and the yeshiva would one day be his. And that you know caused a bit of controversy in the late 1930s in Radin, which is another story. But um, but um, but Ramesh Landinsky did outlive everyone else, and and uh, and uh, and with the blessing of the Chavetz Chaim and his greatness of, of stepping aside, as it were, and being out of the spotlight, being out of the limelight, and letting this new younger kid on the block, so to speak, Reb Nafeli, to take the central stage where this senior Rosh Hashiva had been there for many years was much older and a great, great Talmud Chacham, and it was in his humility and his modesty and his greatness that he was able to work this out, and the two were able to hold each other in, in, in high esteem. Um, and uh, he also wasn't excited about Reb Naftali bringing in the Musser idea into the Shiva. He was an old-school Valajaner, which didn't see the necessity of incorporating the Musser movement's uh, ideals into the curriculum of the yeshiva. So there's all this uh, friction under the surface, but yet somehow they do manage to get along, as great people uh, do. Um, Raphael was very close with the Chavetz Chaim and held him in tremendously high esteem. It's a funny and interesting story. One time the, a student came to the Chavetz Chaim and asked him, where is he to kindle the Hanukkah candles? Which place is he? Where he eats or in his stancia, where he sleeps? And the Chavetz Chaim referred to him to Rav Naftali. He said, why don't you go ask Rav Naftali the question? 
And when he came to Renatoli, Renatoli said to him, uh, let's study the relevant topic in the Mishnah Brura, which is authored by the Chavetz Chaim, and all problems will be solved. We'll see how he, uh, he, he decides the question. Um, the Chavetz Chaim would actually attend the Shiurim of Rav Naftali. And uh, I heard Rivera Wine once told me a story that, uh, that um, Rav Naftali was, the, was the, what we call the Velt Lamden. He was a tremendous... Uh, he was one of the, that's why they brought him to to Radin. He was the 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 Lumdish, uh, the, the the his style of learning was very deep and very analytical and very you know the Chakira he utilized it and and uh, the Chavetz Chaim used to sit in the back when Rav Tali would deliver his his uh, his his, uh, his Torah classes and to the yeshiva and one time Rav Tali delivered a shir and he said. An approach to the sugya, to the Talmudic topic at hand, and um, and then he said, "Un We can say even deeper, and he brought in a different approach. And then when he was finished with that, he said, "Un We can say it even deeper. And uh, from the back, the Chavetz Chaim said, The ways of the Torah are pleasant, and you're making it too deep for everyone, and we're going to lose you." And <laughs> he had him stop and not say the third approach. Once we're talking about three approaches, um, Rabbi Nafteli Trapp from his Kelm days was very close friends, dear, lifelong friends with Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, the great Meshkech of the Mir. And um, in fact, Rabbi Rucham Levavitz was the Meshkech in Raden for several years when Rabbi Nafteli was the Rosh Yeshiva, and they were together leading the Yeshiva of Raden. Um, and, uh, and when they were in Kelm together, they used to study, they were study partners. And Rabbi Rucham once, uh, once, uh, once uh, was studying with him, and they had a question, they, had a, they were studying a question of the Rashba, Rabbi Shlomo Ibn Adaris, one of the great early Rishonim, uh, later Rishonim actually. And, the, um, and, uh, and Rabbi, Rucham, uh, Rabbi Rucham said, you know, they, they studied the question, and then Rabbi Naftali says, okay, let me think of what the Rashba's answer is. And Rabbi thought for a few minutes and said, I think this is going to be the Rashba's answer. And Rabbi Rucham said, try again. And Rabbi Naftali said, okay, and he thought a few more minutes, and he said a second approach. And uh, Rabbi Rucham says, try again. And Rafali says, what? It can't be. And he thinks again, and another few minutes, and he says, this is a third approach. This has to be what the Rashba is going to say. And then Rabbi Rucham opened up the Rashba and showed Rabbi Naftali that all three answers were three answers of the Rashba. And he, he, Rabbi Rucham pointed out the brilliance of Rabbi Naftali that he had completely mastered the approach of the Rashba, that he was able to think of all three answers of, of the Rashba. They even had a dream of having a yeshiva together, which was kind of the Radin uh, stint of Rabbi Rucham fulfilled that dream. And they said in Kelm at the time, It wasn't clear who would be the Rosh Hashiva and which one would be the Mashgiach. And we think of Rabbi Rucham as the quintessential Mashgiach, and we think of Rabbi Tali Trapp as the quintessential Rosh Hashiva, and yet in Kelm it wasn't clear who would be which uh, at that time. Um, Rav Tali, who had essentially instituted the Musa Seder in, in Radna, attended the Musa Seder each day, and, uh, and he even delivered Mr. Shmuzin in the yeshiva for a time as well. Um, Rav Tali had never studied in Velazhin, he had never studied in Brisk, he had never been a student of Rav Chaim Brisker, and yet he somehow had it. He had the Derech Halimut, he had the approach of learning of Rav Chaim Brisker, perhaps it was on his own, perhaps it was, the impact, perhaps it was in the impact of Rav Rabinovich, the future Rav Yitzel who was his teacher in Slabatska, but he had it. He, uh, and that's what he uh, gave over, and that's what made him uh, essentially so popular. Um, so I mentioned that um, he had been engaged 
uh, to the altar of Slovatka's daughter, maybe even married, still unclear so many years later, but he eventually marries the great activist Rebel Yezer Yank of Chavas's daughter. Um, his daughter, his, her name was uh, was either Pesile or Peshele, and different sources bring it different ways, either Pesia or Pesia. The, the name Pesia probably comes from Basia, the daughter of God, a Hebrew name, and it was a Yiddishized version of Basia was Pesia or Pesha. Uh, Basha, Basha, Pesia, and it goes into different variants. Um, so it seems that Pesia and Pesha are two versions of the same name. My guess is that in Lithuanian-style Yiddish, it was pronounced Pesia, and in Polish or Russian Yiddish, it was pronounced Pesha. So that's just my personal guess. Uh, otherwise, I can't figure out why it was either Pesia or Pesha. Either way, so that was the, his, his wife's name, Pesileya. So Blazer Chavas was a tremendous uh, activist. He was, was a... Um, he had a, a, a large role in establishing the relationship with the famous Berlin philanthropist Emil or Ovadia Lachman, whose support for Tel's yeshiva and Slabatki yeshiva, and especially um, the the Lezer Chavez was the agent that got Lachman involved in the funding for the Kovna Kail, which got it off the ground. Um, he made that arrangement. Um, so he lived in Yanashuk, and that's where Rabbi Naftali settles down uh, after his marriage. And unfortunately, his wife passed away at a quite a young age from typhus in 1920, when they were still in exile in Russia during World War I, or right after World War I, rather. And Rabbi Naftali, during his years in Raden, produces some very famous students. There's Rabbi Tzik Meir Pachiner, who later becomes Ben Menachem, who was the son-in-law of Rabbi Salam Meltzer, Rabbi Shleim Hyman, Rabbi David Dryan, who was later in England, Rabbi Yaakov Meishashurkin, Rabbi Yedushnitzer, the Pan of Yerav, Rabbi Yisrael Shleim Kahanam, and many, many, many more. He was like a father to his students. He was very passionate. He exerted tremendous efforts in preparing his shiurim. He was, he was the father of the Chakira, uh, like I said, that, that style of, of teaching, of learning, of taking, a, of taking apart the sugya of the Gemara. He was very clear in his shiurim, and he would study personally a chavrusa, study partnership with many of his students, personally, with them. He would offer, he would go over, he would initiate this. And one of them once said to him, I don't really have time to study with the Rosh Hashiva. So, which is amazing how he said that. Rafael said, how about early in the morning? Can we study then? So this same student said, well, it's difficult for me to wake up early in the morning. So Rafael said, no problem. Tell me where your stancia is, where you sleep. I'll wake you up. And so he did. And they studied together. Um, Reb David Zaritsky, who was a student of Radin and later a famous uh, author and writer, he once saw a fellow student crying at the grave of Rav Tali Trapp two years after, the, after his passing. Not, not, not the next day, two years after his passing. And, and Rav David Zaritsky said, I, I, I can't imagine a son crying by his father's grave the way that student cried by Rav Naftali's grave. That was the relationship that he had uh, with his students even so long after his passing. One of the unique things about Rav Naftali Trapp and his personality was the rare combination of the ultimate Rosh Hashiva teacher of Torah, Lamdin, and at the same time, a leading Balmuser, someone who was legendary in his actions and care for others. He would host people in his home. He was a, very famous for his Achnas Zarchem, for having guests in his home, was well known as a leading host who would welcome anyone into his home. Once a local thief was treated well as his guest and was able to stay there safely, because Raftali said that one is still required to treat him well, even though he's a thief, and to serve him as a guest. The obligation of Achnas Zarchem is applicable to this individual as well. Just because he's a thief, is he not a Jew? Is he not a human being who deserves to be treated with dignity? And that's the type of person 
he was. And one time, Rav Tali's daughter related uh, that she uh, she had uh, turned down a guest because uh, there was no room in the house. So she gave the guest some money to this wayfarer to stay in a local motel. When Rav Tali found out what she did, he said, why didn't you go to the hotel? So he said to his daughter, he said, the reason is because you feel that this is your home. So let me tell you something. This is just as much the home of the poor wanderer as well as just as much as it's your home. He and his wife would also regularly visit the local hospital to feed patients and ensure their needs were cared for, even in wards with contagious diseases. And this is at a time that he was preparing his legendary shiurim and maintained a personal relationship with his many students. He was somehow able to make time for everything which he saw as a priority. Once there was a solar eclipse in Radin and everyone went to see it. Rebbe stood by a cherry tree near the Radin Yeshiva, gazing at the eclipse through some sort of gazing device. I wasn't able to figure out what it was. And he remarked to those around him, he was very impressed with the solar eclipse, so he remarked to those around him, Mindarf nitkuken, mindarf zen. You can't just look, you have to gaze at it, you have to see it, you have to... In other words, he applied his lumbus, his lumbus uh, way of uh, looking at things, that, that's how you have to look at a solar eclipse as well. You have to, you know, uh, really, really, you know, appreciate the solar eclipse. Uh, Rav Tali also delivered a weekly Friday night chumash here in the great synagogue of Raden to the local lay people of Raden. Nothing to do with the yeshiva, which was quite popular, and he obviously did this on a voluntary uh, basis. Um... He accompanied the Radin Yeshiva into its exile during World War I to Shmilovitz, Shumiat, Snovsk, and his wife passed away, like I mentioned, while they were still in exile, and his health deteriorated following her passing. Uh, when Reftali was sick in his later years, his final illness with a fatal muscular disorder, which would eventually take his life, there were passionate prayers on his behalf in the Yeshiva. The Chavetz Chaim himself even offered his own years to extend Reftali's life, which was an accepted mystical formula that was done occasionally under those circumstances. But uh, alas, it was to no avail. Raftali passed away in 1928 at the relatively young age of 57 on Maitri Rosh Hashanah, now on the third day of, uh, of Tishrei, Tzem Gedalia. The Radin Yeshiva never really reco- recovered its former glory after his passing. He had been the primary attraction for top students and it never regained that prestige. Rabbi Suzalman Meltzer was visiting from Palestine for the Kletsk uh, Yeshiva building dedication at that time, and he was offered a position in Radin to replace uh, Rabbi Naftali after his passing. He declined, he turned it down, he returned to Palestine. Um, there was a whole issue in Radin afterwards about Rabbi Naftali's family and the Radin Yeshiva. A lot of politics, there was some disputes uh, about which, which one of his children would uh, would replace him, would come into his place, and there's, you know, there's a, it's a whole story of the decade, the last decade of the Radin Yeshiva and all the... Uh, all the, uh, everything that was going on there was quite a bit going on, which uh, I'm not going to get into too much now. I just want to mention his children, because they were the ones, some of them were the ones who replaced him, so I'm just going to give a short summary of who Reb Naftali's family was. Um, Reb, two, two children did somewhat fill his place in the yeshiva, Reb Ram Trupp um, and Reb Baruch Feivelson, a son and son-in-law, both had nominal and something between unofficial and official positions in the yeshiva. Um, because there were the you know there's the Chavetz Chaim's family, the Zaxes, and the Londinsky family. They also had claims, um, so things got complicated after a while. But Rav Ramtrup, who was the oldest child, he married the daughter of a great uh, Lithuanian rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Sapir. His wife's name, uh, Rav Ramtrup's wife's name was Esther Esther Sapir, and uh, and and his brother-in-law, uh, Rav Ramtrup's brother-in-law. In other words, his wife's sister had married Rabbi Shua Levinson, who was the grandson of the Chavetz Chaim. 
son of Reb Hirsch Levinson, and ran the yeshiva after his father Reb Hirsch is passing. So there you had, you know, he had an in with the yeshiva administration, right, with his family connection. Um, Reb Ramtrop was very close with the Chavetz Chaim. He learned in Radin, so he had this quasi-official position in Radin yeshiva and remained there until the war broke out. Um, and following the Soviet takeover of the area, he was arrested and deported to Siberia. He ended up in Smarkand in Uzbekistan, where he survived the war. He immigrated to the United States, and he eventually was uh, he, 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 had, he was a part of the for a time with Rebendel Zaks, the Chavetz Chaim, in New York. But he was eventually the Rashiva of the Karlin Stalin Yeshiva in the 1960s, and at the end of his life, he immigrated to Israel and passed away there in 1978. Um, he had two daughters. One married Reb Henech Leibowitz, which is a nice irony. You know, you get Reb Henech Leibowitz was the yeshiva of Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva, which is a different, different yeshiva. Obviously, Reb David Leibowitz, his father was a family you know, related, a nephew of the Chavetz Chaim, um, and uh, and and a close student of his. Uh, so it was the yeshiva Chavetz Chaim. So here you had the Rosh Yeshiva of the yeshiva Chavetz Chaim marrying a trap who was from the Radin Yeshiva in. In, uh, in Europe, so it's, it's a nice connection. Um, and then uh, the second daughter, uh, they of course uh, unfortunately never had children, and the second daughter uh, married Reb Chaim Portnoy, uh, who was in Altamir, who studied in the Mir Yeshiva, he was from Brisk, uh, grew up in Brisk, then studied in the Mir, so he was Brisk Mir Radin, which is not bad for Litvish uh, credentials, you pretty much can't get better than that. It's like someone saying that he went to Stuyvesant High and then Harvard, and then got a faculty position at Cornell. Uh, so that's that's pretty good. So the Portnoy family today are prominent descendants of Rabbi Naftali Trepp, a prominent family. There's also, there was another Altamir, of Laser Portnoy, who was in the mayor and instrumental in obtaining the famous Sugihara visas. So it's a, a prominent family. Another another son of Rabbi Naftali was Rebruvain Trepp. He studied in Raden. He also studied in Vij, which was the first yeshiva of the future Panavijarov. He also was a student of the Mir Yeshiva. And then in 1925, he went to Palestine, where he studied in Hebron, to study in the Slobotki, the Slobotki Yeshiva, which had reestablished in Hebron. He survived the massacre, and then he married and settled down in Yerushalayim, where he held various positions in the Hebron Yeshiva. And then he was later a rabbi in Tel Aviv, and when he lived in Tel Aviv, he was appointed by the rabbi of Tel Aviv, Rabbi Shavigdur Amiel, as the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivat HaYishuv HaChadash, uh, unfortunately, because of his deteriorating health, uh, that position was eventually retained by Rebuda Kolodetsky, and Rebuda Trump passed away at the young age of 50 in 1951. Several of his grandchildren hold prominent positions in the religious Zionist community today, including a current Knesset member, Michal Valdiger, who's currently in the Knesset. She's a uh, descendant of Raftali Trump. There was another uh, child of Naftali, uh, a daughter, Toibe, who married a Raden student named Rabbi Yeshua Isaac Kamenetsky. He was a rabbi of a town in Poland, and unfortunately the entire family was wiped out in the Holocaust. And then the youngest um, daughter, her name was Fega Etel, she married Rabbaruch Yosef Feivelson, who nominally took over his father-in-law's position in the yeshiva following his passing, until his untimely passing a couple of, just a couple of years later, in 1933, when he was only 38 years old. And we visit his grave next to his father-in-law, next to Naftali, in Raden. Uh, he's in the same row, Rabbi Feivelson. He's actually the only one in that whole row with the, that the original tombstone was found. So it's more authentic. It gives a more authentic feel to the actual tombstone of Rabbi Feivelson. He was from a very prominent Lithuanian rabbinic family. And his father, Rabbi Leo Meir Feivelson, was one of the most famous and active rabbinic and yeshiva leaders of his day. 
Um, Rebaruch Feivelson himself studied in the Slavatki Yeshiva and was quite uh, talented despite his youth, and he was appointed in his father-in-law's stead and passed away tragically uh, shortly thereafter. It was also only a few weeks prior to the Chavetz Chaim's own passing, so that was a rough summer for the Radin Yeshiva. Rebar Feivelson's wife and children were exiled to Siberia during the war. The mother passed away, and then one of the children uh, died shortly after the war. But the remaining children, who were young, uh, they, were, they eventually made it to Israel. They were prominent in Israel after the war, and their families are still in Israel today. So that's Rebbe Naftali Trapp. Uh, this is Yehudi Geber of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, uh, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.